Journey to Pentecost, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia. Wednesday after the Feast of Holy Pascha, we commemorate Mid-Pentecost. We'll be joined by Dr. Greg Roditis, group leader at the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, to discuss the feast. We'll also be joined by George Passus to reflect on the life of Elder Philotheos Zervakos. This is The Journey to Pentecost. Feast of Mid-Pentecost with Dr. Greg Rodidis, group leader at the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. On the fourth Wednesday after Great and Holy Pascha, we celebrate the Feast of Mid-Pentecost. It lies exactly 25 days after Pascha and 25 days before Pentecost. But what do we know of this feast day and its significance? First of all, it is a great feast day of the Lord which marks the midpoint between Christ's burial and resurrection, when he promised the coming of the Comforter and the day the Holy Spirit poured forth abundantly on all the disciples on the great day of Pentecost. The theme for the day is not tied to any particular event in the Bible, nor is it celebrated as a result of a specific historical day but it is to be found among the ancient Christian feasts and certainly had been well established by the time of St. John Chrysostom in the 4th century. Mid-Pentecost is a celebration that links Pascha with Pentecost. As we study the Gospel of the day, I want to bring to your attention three key points. The Gospel reading of the day, according to St. John, highlights the theme of midpoint. In chapter 7, verse 14, we hear the following. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. The middle of the feast is the Jewish Passover, and Christ is teaching in the temple, among the teachers of the Jewish people, in the middle of the feast. Christ the Messiah and Word of God. There is a beautiful hymn from the Vespers of the Mid-Feast that reveals this profound inner connection. 
the middle of the fifty days has come, beginning with the Saviour's resurrection and sealed by the Holy Pentecost. The first and the last glisten with splendour. We rejoice in the union of both feasts as we draw near to the Lord's ascension, the sign of our coming glorification. And again from the Matin service we hear, The midpoint of Pentecost is here today, brilliant from the one side in the brightness of the divine Pascha and shining from the other with the grace of the Comforter. The second point I want to bring to your attention highlights the authority in which our Lord teaches. In verse 26, he speaks boldly so that the Jews marvel. In verse 28, Jesus cries out in a loud voice as he teaches in the temple. But no one lays a hand on him in verse 30. This also is referred to in the hymnology of our church. The master, aware of all the thoughts in everyone's hearts, stood up in the centre of the temple, crying aloud and speaking the truth. And again, O Jesus, who control the ends of the earth, you went up and taught the crowds in the temple the word of truth at the midpoint of the feast, as John declares. He is the Lord and King, wisdom, power and radiance, the eternal Logos, the very Son of God. The third and final point carries our attention on what follows a few lines further on in the Gospel. In verse 37, St. John describes Christ standing up on the last day of the feast, in other words, on the day of Pentecost, and proclaiming to all the Jews, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These words are spoken specifically to announce the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Why am I mentioning this for? Is it maybe premature to discuss the day of Pentecost at the mid-feast? These words were not spoken by the Lord in the middle of the feast, but a number of days later. Let us once again look at the hymns on the day of mid-Pentecost for clarification. Through poetic license, they are put into the mouth of the Lord at mid-Pentecost. We hear, At the middle, O Lord, of the sacred feast, as you stood in the middle of the temple amid the crowd, you proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In any case, they are very well suited to the theme of the feast. The water that Christ offers us will then become in us a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This water of wisdom that Christ offers us enlightens our minds and hearts. All we need to do is observe and put into practice Christ's teachings. We too will then become fire that not only shines brightly always, even during these difficult times of social isolation and deprivation from the holy mysteries, but also lights up the hearts of those around us. Such fire will not only burn continuously, but continue to grow eternally. Christ's words are refreshing and life-giving, just as cool water is to the thirsty tongue. Christ is the source of life. Let us keep his example and words close to our heart.
Philotheos Zervakos with George Passus of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. We are all blessed to have present with us in the 20th and 21st centuries holy elders to guide our church as shining lights. Many of these elders are household names and have now been canonized as saints. Saint Paisios, Saint Porfirios, and Saint Joseph the Hesychast are three such examples. Today, we will be discussing another elder, one who is perhaps less well known, but whose life is just as inspiring and instructive to all of us. This is Elder Philotheos Zervakos, who was one of the great confessors, preachers, miracle workers, and monastics of modern-day Greece. He lived between 1884 and 1980. The great elder was born as Constantine in 1884 in a small village in the Peloponnese. From a young age, he loved Christ and the church, and would often leave his work when he heard the church bells ringing. This happened so often that eventually his parents decided not to send him to work when Vespers or Matins were approaching. He would read the lives of the great saints and be moved to tears with inexpressible joy. The natural course of such a person is to abandon the world and dedicate their entire existence to God. Knowing this, the devil sent evil spirits at night to terrorize young Constantine. The elder describes these spirits as fearsome giants with horrible faces and drawn swords. He pleaded to the Theotokos to preserve him, and three times she saved him. Constantine, however, was terrified by this experience, and he slowly lost the longing that he had for the monastic life. This was replaced by a desire for worldly things, for wealth, for glory, and for bodily comforts. The good Lord, however, never abandons a soul that has once struggled. One day, whilst he was visiting a friend, Constantine found a book called Diamonds of Paradise, and the start of the book had a very famous homily from St. Basil dealing with the topic of watching yourself. Elder Philotheos, in his autobiography, describes reading this homily as something that touched him to the very core. He wondered what would happen if he was to die right then and there without having done anything good for his salvation. From that very moment, he abandoned every worldly desire and attached himself solely to God. By day, he was a teacher, 
and inspired his students to follow a God-pleasing life. By night, he devoted himself to prayer and vigils. During this time, he also had regular battles with the demons who would appear to him and he knew what a spiritual giant he would become. At around the age of 20, Constantine left home to become a monk. His father, however, was very opposed to this and tearfully begged him not to go. The elder, however, took courage by the biblical passage that he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.37 It was only when his father threatened to drown himself that he decided to return home so as to prevent the evil one leading his father into an eternal sin. The elder knew, however, that his calling was not for the worldly life, but rather for the angelic life of a monk. A short time later, his opportunity arose. One night, when the moon was not shining and the sky was pitch black, the elder ran away from home with the goal of ending up at the holy mountain. He took only a tunic and his gospel. No possessions, no coat, and no shoes. He ran off the beaten track so that no one would see him and force him to return. And this forced him to cross endless thorns, burning sand, and harsh rocks, which destroyed his feet. This was an astonishing act of love for God. He abandoned everything he knew, without any clothing, protection, or money, in his attempt to live a monastic life. In addition to the physical torment of his journey, the evil spirits would tempt him by telling him to return to his parents before they died of grief. They continually reminded him of the pleasures of the world and contrasted that to the merciless pain he was now feeling. Elder Philotheos, however, would tell himself to be strong and reminded himself to take care of his immortal soul because nothing else will help him on the day of judgment. Not parents, nor brothers, nor friends, nor estates, nor pleasures, nor enjoyment. Nothing but good works. This strength of character would become emblematic of his later life and teaching. Along his journey, he stopped by several monasteries. At one point, he was advised to take spiritual counsel from Father Efsevios Mathopoulos in Patras. This venerable father advised Elder Philotheos to return to his family for the moment and complete his military duty. Then, once he had rendered to Caesar the things which were Caesar's, he could go and serve the heavenly king. In true obedience, Elder Philotheos turned back from his lifelong desire to go to the holy mountain and returned home. During his military service, he was stationed in Athens, where his desire to go to the holy mountain remained strong. He told this to his spiritual father, who was the director of the theological school in Athens and none other than St. Nectarios, Bishop of Pentapolis. St. Nectarios advised him to not go to the holy mountain, but to instead go to the Longovarda monastery in Paros. Elder Philotheos, however, was insistent that he wanted to go to the holy mountain, and St. Nectarios gave him his blessing. When the elder finished his military service, 
he again began his journey to the holy mountain. He arrived as far as Thessaloniki before some Turkish officers arrested him on suspicion of being a spy. As a result, he learned to be obedient to his spiritual father's wishes and journeyed instead to the Longovarda Monastery in Paros. Here he confessed to the abbot, the venerable Ierotheos, and asked to become a brother. He describes feeling a sense of paradise from the moment he arrived at the monastery. In 1907, at the age of only 23, he was tonsured a monk and given the name Philotheos, which means lover of God. In short succession, he was ordained a deacon, a priest and an archimandrite. He attained the rank of the latter in 1913, not even 30 years of age. From then, Elder Philotheos began hearing confessions and preaching the word of God tirelessly. He was blessed with the gift of clairvoyance and would often be able to tell a person's sins before they opened their mouth. More importantly, he led a tireless spiritual life that was characterized by intense asceticism, selfless giving, complete abandonment of worldly thoughts, extreme humility and unshakable love for everyone. These qualities made him a great spiritual light and he was able to counsel thousands of souls and lead them to salvation. It did not take long before his reputation grew and he began receiving more and more invitations to travel to other regions and preach and confess there. By the end of his life, Elder Philotheos had completed pastoral and missionary trips to over 50 cities, where he would energize and enlighten the people in those areas with gems of spiritual wisdom. In this way, he was a great modern-day apostle and is described by some as the principal confessor for all of Greece. On these journeys, Elder Philotheos would give many homilies and sermons. He had a gift, in the tradition of the great fathers of the church, to condense complex and beautiful spiritual truths in a way that the lay people could understand. Thankfully, many of his homilies and counsels have been preserved, and there are already a range of books that have been translated into English that contain excerpts from these. In 1930, Abbot Erotheos passed away, and Elder Philotheos succeeded him as the abbot of Longavardna Monastery. Although this came with added responsibilities, the elder did not slow down his God-pleasing work of confessing, praying, and preaching. He would rarely rest and suffered physically as a result. Despite this, he never ceased loving everyone and helping in whatever way he could. One particularly vivid example of this love took place during World War II in 1944. One day, several British soldiers killed two German soldiers. At that time, the German commanders were under orders that when a German was murdered, they were to take 50 Greeks from those living closest to the spot of the crime and execute them. Accordingly, 125 Greek residents from Paros had been sentenced to death by the local German commissioner. Elder Philotheos invited the German commissioner to the monastery and impressed the commissioner so much by his philanthropy and compassion that the commissioner asked the elder, 
to ask him for one favor. When the elder asked for the 125 residents to be saved, however, the commissioner said that this was not possible. Not giving up, Elder Philotheos then asked the commissioner to ensure that he, Abbot Philotheos, was among the 125 who were to be executed. When the commissioner saw his self-sacrifice and his willingness to die for others, he gave an order freeing the 125. On another occasion, when there was a food shortage in the 1940s, many people would come to the monastery to be fed and the elder would give away all that he and the monastery owed to help them. It was later estimated that over 1,500 people would have died if the elder had not been so philanthropic over this period, although only God knows the degree of sacrifice that he went through. On 8 May 1980, at the age of 96, the blessed elder passed from this life into the eternal kingdom. Both within his life and after his death, the elder performed countless miracles. Through God's grace which flowed abundantly through him, the sick were made well, the barren conceived children, and the blind could see. The greatest miracle that he performed, however, was reconciling thousands of otherwise lost souls to the eternal kingdom of God. He has also left us a rich legacy in homilies, councils, and hundreds of personal accounts from those who knew him and whose souls were indelibly touched by his presence. May our souls also be touched by his example. Peace, Lord.